welcome to episode 110 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church, for Christ Church, and for all those who would uh, join us from outside of our congregation. We welcome you, and I'm here today with my uh, two dear friends and co-hosts, Dr. Gabriel Williams, who is a professor uh, at the College of Charleston, as well as a longtime member of Christ Church. Gabe, good to see you today. Good seeing you. And also here is our assistant minister, uh, Reverend Michael Bauer, the very, very Reverend Michael Bauer is with us, and uh, good to have you today, brother. Good to be here. <laughs> Michael doesn't like my jokes. So. They're great, huh? great jokes. <laughs> Uh, the best, the best thing is when you're preaching in Scotland and you you say something humorous and everybody just looks at you with a stone face and uh, you're like, okay. And then after the service, they said, that was really funny, Pastor, when you said that. <laughs> um, well, we are here today uh, to uh, discuss. Uh, not the use of humor when preaching in the UK, uh, but we want to discuss the new Trinity Psalter hymnal, the new Trinity Psalter hymnal. And uh, some of you may be uh, hearing that and thinking, Where, where's my pillow? I'm going to go ahead and take a nap now. Uh, but quite frankly, this is a, a pretty exciting uh, development in the life of the Reformed Church. Uh, you have heard, perhaps, of the worship wars that have been going on for uh, really since the mid-70s, mm -hmm. uh, after the, Jesus, the yes. Jesus Freak movement and all the contemporary Christian movement, uh, Christian music movement uh, took place. There has been a lot of conversation and a lot of argumentation uh, about uh, what music and singing should be uh, in the life of the church and uh, what's most beneficial for the church. And of course, today uh, we know who won the worship wars. Mm -hmm. uh, you walk into most mid-sized mid mm -hmm. to large churches in America and there will be a praise band yes. and there will be breathy, kind of sexy music and singing. And uh, there will be uh, microphone-driven worship. Uh, there will be loud uh, electric guitars and drums. And it will be a, a kind of set, a segment mm -hmm. that has flattened the liturgy like a pancake and made mm -hmm. it basically a lot of singing and then a message and then a lot more singing. No, Very little prayer, very little confession of sin, very little confession of faith, if any, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Now, I say all that. And... Yes, of course, there are churches that have a more contemporary style that do it very well, and they're very reverent, and it doesn't flatten the liturgy. Yeah. But I dare you to go find one of those <laughs> and tell me about it, because there are very few of them, I will yes. tell you that. One thing I've so appreciated uh, about in my own Christian walk is learning about our Reformed and confessional heritage mm. as it's related to public worship the worship of the people of yeah. God on the Lord's Day, and the elements of worship, and in particular, the music and singing in public worship, yes. and the nature of it, the purpose of it, uh, why it is that we do it, what does the Bible say about it. These are things that people don't typically think about. Your, your, your regular evangelical just thinks, how does this music make me feel? Mm -hmm. How do the words make me feel? How do they make me love Jesus more? Rather than asking, is this biblical? Right. Are these lyrics of these hymns or songs Biblical? Are they balanced biblically? Or are mm -hmm. they only giving us one side of God or one part of His truth? 
And, uh, and then also, by the way, what does the Bible say about psalm singing? Mm. Uh, it seems that the Bible commands us to sing the psalms. Yes. And if the Bible commands us to sing the psalms, what does that mean for the music and singing of the church? And so these are some things we want to discuss today as it relates to the Trinity Psalter Hymnal that was published in 2018 uh, by a, a joint commission of the URCNA and the OPC. And these two denominations uh, came together, brought some skilled musicians uh, as well as uh, hymnists uh, and theologians together to, to put this uh, Trinity Psalter hymnal uh, together where both within the same volume uh, you have all 150 psalms uh, and several versions of several of those psalms mm -hmm. uh, along with... Uh, a tremendous amount of hymns, over 250 uh, marvelous hymns that have been handed down to us from throughout the ages. And then in the back of the book, we have some other goodies, which we're going to talk about as well uh, in terms of our confessional heritage. Uh, we, as a congregation, uh, purchased these right after they came out, and we replaced all of our old Trinity hymnals with this new Trinity Psalter hymnal. And it has been one of the best things we've done uh, as a church. And so we, we praise the Lord for it. But brothers, let's begin by talking a little bit about the contemporary music scene. Uh, and I was being a little provocative earlier, uh, but I, I do have, quite frankly, some pretty strong feelings about uh, and opinions uh, and convictions about uh, modern day contemporary Christian music in the life of the modern contemporary church. And how I don't see it just as neutral. I actually see it as doing a lot of damage uh, to people's approach to God and to di Christian discipleship. And uh, and I, I love uh, singing the Psalms and singing classic hymns. And some of the newer hymns have been written, like by the Gettys, that are theologically substantial, mm -hmm. and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but what are we to make of all that's happening today as it concerns church music and singing as it relates to Christian discipleship? I think church music uh, in today's world is basically following the general ethos of today's world. Hmm. And so yeah. when, we, when we talk about the lack of foresight, the informality of things, the lack of distinction between what you do at work versus what you do at church, all of those blending of distinctions are in a sense going into how people do worship in some sense. So. For, as an example of this, it's not surprising that when people think about worship music, what they immediately think of before anything else is style, primarily. Yeah. Yeah. And that means style drives a lot of what we think of today in terms of the uh, contemporary worship uh, scene. It's not, it would be one thing if you try to take really good old hymns and modernize it, that would be a worthwhile pursuit, but that's not what's happening. Right. We're taking somewhat vacuous lyrics, putting them to music that is 20 years, well, 20 years behind current music, uh, right. essentially, and that, that's all, what I always find humorous, yeah. is that contemporary music seems to be stuck in the 1980s and 90s. For <laughs> <laughs> some reason. But, uh, yeah, it, it fits the kind of mode of what's going on, and you know, there are lots of YouTube videos of satire against this because what tends to happen is even the way that music is done is 
been changed. So you go into a church, let's just pick a arbitrary, you know, typical large evangelical church, and you come in, there's a stage, and so the stage is where the musicians come in, and they come in, it's always someone who's kind of like a punk rock sort of guy who is recently converted and plays a couple of chords on his guitar. <laughs> Right. He comes in and he is, you know, if this was a secular scene, he's the hype man. He's the one who tries to get you into the service and mm -hmm. get you into, it feels like a concert in that sense. And that matches, in a sense, the, the type of informality that people tend to want. It's uh, when we talk about the modern scene, uh, what we often observe is that it lacks essential reverence. It kind of ignores the fact that God is present and that he is present with his people in a peculiar way on the Lord's yeah. day. And it kind of pushes that to the side and it becomes more of what can we do as the band and the singers up front to essentially praise God and just to offer him some sort of throw up praise or something like that. And it's no longer a church, it's a theater. There you go. You know, in many of the modern churches, there are no windows because natural light is going to mess with all the theatrics of the mm -hmm. screens, right? Mm -hmm. The huge LED screens and so forth. Uh, so it's not a church, it's a theater. It's not a chancel. It's, it's a, a stage. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's no it's pulpit. It's a pulpit, right? Yeah, there's no pulpit. It's, it's a music stand. It's a, it's a music stand. Um, or a lectern, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so everything's. We used to not speak this way before the late '60s, early '70s. Yeah. Quite literally, this kind of vocabulary was not a part of of the church. Now you could make an argument that in the Second Great Awakening, when, uh, when you started seeing some of these lines being drawn, with the Second Great Awakening being led by Charles Finney, who who taught. Uh, ironically as a Presbyterian who wasn't really a Presbyterian but he taught that God had done all he can do in, in, in sending a son to die for us now it was up to us to get people converted mm -hmm. and so the manipulation tactics began and you had uh, the new measures so-called mm -hmm. new measures where you would do whatever it takes to get people you know you hear the the, the phrase we'll do w whatever it takes short, short of, of sin, sin to get people saved yeah. right <laughs> and so that's that's the kind of, if people don't just say it, mm -hmm. they certainly uh, will think it in order to show this kind of uh, modern um, spirituality that, hey, well, you guys must be really doing it right mm -hmm. if you're doing everything you can mm -hmm. to quote unquote get people saved rather than doing discipleship on God's terms, right. mm -hmm. doing it in His way, according to His word for His glory. It's no longer a, a focus is on manipulation and uh, human-centered tactics to get people to make a decision or to bring people in. Um, it's, a, it's a decision to, as for the church, to be faithful to God's word, right. uh, to glorify God, and to know that his means of grace are actually the best thing for everybody who walks through the door. That's right. And music is such a powerful force. And it does intentionally, I think, by God's good design, uh, affect our emotions. And it should. Mm -hmm. But to manipulate emotions 
because based on the music or by the, by the music that we use is a, a wrong approach and man-centered essentially you know it's been said what what you win people with is what you win them to mm-hmm. and so if you win people with emotional music that's what they're going to want uh, essentially and you know so often um, I've heard over the years that people make decisions based upon yeah. not the preaching mm-hmm. not the shepherding care of the church not whether the church practices church discipline, Mm-mm. not whether the church faithfully administers the sacraments, um, not whether the church has faithful Bible studies and Sunday school programs. They make a decision based on how the music makes them feel mm-hmm. in worship. Does it make them feel yeah. close to God? And this makes sense if you think about uh, the triumph of uh, uh, the therapeutic yeah. age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's all about how I feel, how you make me feel, is whether or not I'm right. going to stay, right? Whether it's a grocery store or a church, yeah. uh, and so it, it's just a it's a real important dynamic when it comes to discipleship that we see music not just as entertain with entertainment factor or an evangelistic factor or getting people in or making people feel a certain way. We actually, and God actually, makes it clear in His Word that the singing of the people of God is meant to be a primary tool of Christian discipleship. Exactly. One of the things that uh, I think John knows this, but I grew up Pentecostal, actually. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I observe is just the triumph of charismatic theology in, in worship. Because when we talk about the praise band idea that came from the Pentecostals, that came from Amy McPherson back in the early 1900s, and she had a rock star type status. And so if you're interested, uh, Bob Godfrey has a nice talk about this. Mm. But one of the things that is important to remember is that it's uh, you cannot separate your worship, uh, style of worship, and mode of worship from your theological convictions. And so there's a reason why charismatics worship the way they do. There's a reason why we say there's charismatic worship because there's charismatic theology. It's much more focused upon the direct encounter and experience with God in that kind of one-to-one type of way. You cannot mix that idea with what all of Reformed theology teaches about the covenantal nature of worship and the whole congregation worshiping as one body. And that's why, generally speaking, and it's not always the case, but if you are strongly convicted about the need for, uh, if you're strongly convicted about the fact that God has commanded his worship as a covenant renewal, Mm. that's going to imply that the entire congregation must sing together. If you don't see that core idea as central, that means you're probably going to have a idea of worship that is purely me and God together, kind of close my eyes and we kind of (laughs) commune together in sort of way. That's the charismatic sort of view. And that view kind of has just seeped in to various different places. But what I've appreciated about just charismatic things as a, uh, what I appreciate about just observing how reformed uh, theology has influenced my own idea of worship is that it has instructed me to, in a sense, see worship as not just this mystical encounter between God and his people, but it's instructed me to see how God is, in a sense, 
giving his gifts to his people in public worship. We are seeing how God affirms and uh, basically uh, renews his covenant with us as we come together as a congregation. And so it's a, in a sense, dialogical in that sense, that God has given us promises in the gospel that we see and with our eyes at the sacraments that we hear with the word being preached and we have a response to that. And it makes sense, therefore, that it cannot just be focused upon the praise band or focused upon the lead singer. It has to be the entire congregation together because we are all uh, united together in Christ as one body. And it must be said that uh, a praise band can certainly drown out and, and almost always does drown out the congregational singing so yes. that you can't hear people around you. Uh, but a, an organ can do that as well. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. A traditional church can have an organ that's blasting. You know, and I was recently in a church uh, that did this, and it was a bummer because I was looking forward to hearing this congregation singing uh, to God's praise, and um, you, you couldn't hear them. All you heard was this organ. Uh, and uh, it's just a, it's an important idea that when we gather together as God's people, we are encouraging one another mm -hmm. through our mutual participation in worship. And so right. when the 80-year-old saint who's been walking with Jesus for 70 years or longer mm -hmm. uh, hears a, an 8-year-old boy you know, singing in front of him, that encourages his soul. Mm -hmm. right. And when the eight-year-old boy hears the 80-year-old saint behind him, you know, gasping for breath as he's singing out uh, praises to God, that has an impression upon him. That's right. And as you hear the congregation together mm -hmm. singing like an army for the Lord, it's a powerful uh, encouragement to, to God's people. And so, that's that's one reason why you know we need to be careful about accompaniment that yeah. it doesn't actually take over. Right, that's right. And and so the the, the Psalter hymnal is, is wonderful in that it has not only every psalm, all 150 psalms. And by the way, uh, there are 150 psalms, not just <laughs> six or seven that typically are focused on in most <laughs> praise songs. Uh, and these psalms are are meant to be. Uh, that which speak to all parts of the human soul. You know, John Calvin called the Psalms the all all parts of the anatomy of the human soul. It speaks to every part of us when we are when we are discouraged, when we are encouraged, when we are uh, uh, delighted in the Lord, when we are having a hard time and feel far from the Lord, when tragedy has struck. Uh, the Psalms speak to us. In all, for, in all of these different occasions, and a lot of modern hymnody does this as well, but the Psalms do it the best. Mm -hmm. And this right. is God's inspired hymn book, hymn book, right in the middle of our Bibles. And the Bible commands us to sing them. That's right. Colossians three: sing psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Uh, so we have we have all these psalms, we have all these wonderful hymns, and all of the hymns, and this can be very devotional as mm -hmm. well. Uh, we encourage uh, all of you who are members of our congregation uh, to own Trinity Psalter hymnals. You can go online and be the best hundred bucks you spent uh, this month. Um, you know, buy a few less groceries and buy uh, five Trinity Psalter hymnals for your family and use these in family worship. You'll notice that there are different uh, subjects. You'll you'll have um, the opening of worship, uh, all parts of the. 
life and ministry of Christ, uh, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the return of Christ, um, attributes uh, of God, attributes of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the church, church, kingdom of God, the work of missions, salvation by grace, sanctification, trust and assurance, uh, and on and on we could go. This is a a veritable treasure of piety. Uh, you can sing these on your own in your personal worship, um, and uh, and then in the back we have. As we mentioned earlier, some serious goodies. This this has not been a part of any Psalter hymnal that I've ever seen. And that is, in the back of the Psalter hymnal, we have the three forms of unity. The Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, and the Canons of Dort, and the Westminster Standards, which include the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. How great is it to have all of this, these songs and psalms, as well as the best and the richest of our confessional heritage uh, as a church? This makes sense. The URCNA holds to the three forms of unity. Uh, the OPC holds to the Westminster Standards. It was a joint uh, project, and so all of those forms of our confessions are in there. Uh, what an encouragement that is. Very much so. And what I appreciate about this is that it means that if you're doing family worship, you essentially just have one book to go to to really get everything you need to get done in family worship. So if you are if you have a young family, you can sing a psalm, you can do a one catechism, you can look at a creed. Mm -hmm. It's all contained. And so you, that means you don't have to pull out multiple books to do this. If you have a good Psalter, as you have here, and if you have catechisms here in the back, you can just use that for your friendly worship without much else, uh, have to add much else to what you need for friendly worship. Yes, and uh, the, the committee that put this together, the URC and the and the uh, OPC have just made it even easier to own a copy of the Psalter hymnal because they've recently released uh, a phone app, uh, an, an app that, that has the entire Trinity Psalter hymnal uh, in it. All 150 psalms and all of the hymns plus all of the back material that we've just been talking about are, are included in this app. It's um, for now only for sale on Apple devices, but they're soon going to release it for, for other devices as well. Um, but it's a wonderful way. I think the app costs like $10 or something, but a very inexpensive way to have the entire um, Trinity Psalter hymnal in your phone. Uh, and it also includes samples of, of the tunes and so if you don't know how a specific song goes uh, you can play the tune for your family and then you'll all be able to, to sing along uh, and it's just a wonderful um, w wonderful app that they've just recently released and so for all of the church members who have been secretly complaining about not knowing these difficult tunes to some <laughs> of these exactly hymns right. and songs you have no, no excuse. excuse now and if you don't have an iPhone you need to go out and buy an iPhone and download this app onto it and listen to these tunes in fact this has been great for us hasn't it yes. uh, Michael because oh, yes. in preparing liturgies uh, we've had to often go on just the internet to find tunes and mm -hmm. what is this tune again and uh, we do have a lot of the tunes memorized now, yes. the names of them, but a lot of them we don't, and so we're having to check. This phone app is gold. It's fantastic. And so, um, 
it is so important that we have a proper view of music and singing in the church. Mm. Uh, we've only touched upon these things today, and, and uh, some of it has been anecdotal. Uh, but when we think about congregational worship, we need to remember congregational worship is for the people of God. Mm. Uh, we don't see anywhere in the Bible where gathered the gathered public worship of God uh, is meant to be focused on unbelievers. Yes, uh, We're happy for unbelievers to come. They're welcome. Um, but uh, we do not organize our services around wanting to please unbelievers. We want to please God. Mm. Uh, he is seeking worshipers. That's right. John 4. Uh, we're not a, we are a seeker church, mm. but we're a church where we believe God is seeking worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Mm. Right. And so Amen. we're that kind of a seeker church that, we, <laughs> that God is seeking true worshipers. Uh, we welcome unbelievers, uh, but we don't feel like we need to make our music and our singing uh, worldly right. uh, in order to draw in worldly people. Uh, we want to, them to, to see and to hear something different mm. than what they're hearing throughout the week. Something that has uh, a, a, uh, a reverence and a sacred tone to it, that which is a part of our Christian heritage, which has been passed down to us. I love it that we sing, for instance, Psalm 23, mm. uh, metrical psalm, mm. which that me particular metrical psalm was set to this meter in 1650 mm. in the Scottish Psalter. And, and Presbyterians have been singing this since 1650. Now that's that's encouraging uh, that we don't believe the church needs to be reinvented that's right. every month, yes. every time a new genre of music comes out or a new trend <laughs> or fashion emerges in the culture. We hold fast to that which Christians have always held fast to. And that's, that's an encouragement. And I think a lot of young people especially are looking for substance. Mm -hmm. uh, they're tired of the vacuous nature of the Justin Bieber, uh, you know, Britney Spears. She's probably way out of date now, but <laughs> way you know, this we we people want more than this kind yes, of yes. popcorn vacuous lack of theology in their mm -hmm. singing. They want depth. Yeah. They want to sing about. Christ rescuing us from the depths of hell and, and not just singing these these so-called Jesus is my boyfriend songs that are so theologically vacuous that you could be singing about your boyfriend and not about the Son of God because mm -hmm. the words say nothing more than that, really. Yeah, right. Um, but we're, we're happy uh, that in God's providence this... Uh, was cre this Psalter hymnal was created in 2018, and uh, we hope that you'll appreciate it uh, as much as we do, and that we'll all appreciate it more. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode of Between the Times, and please join us next time.